Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It's Monday, the twelfth of February. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Oh, what's on your um, what's on your schedule for the week? I mean, sometimes you know it's it's Monday before we actually like open up our calendar for the week and see the stuff that's on there. And uh, I have a friend who yesterday was kind of I mean, it's kind of suddenly right caught up with her that this is the week she goes to court, <clears throat> and um, it doesn't really matter what she's going to court about. The point is, this is the week, and so conversations about how she's feeling and what that looks like and what she's facing. So let me ask you, have you ever been to court? Have you, have you ever been to court? Maybe you go to court all the time because you're a judge or you're a lawyer um, or you're a court reporter or you're a bailiff. I don't know if there's a bailiff out there. I'd love to hear from you. Um, have you ever been to court? Maybe you have been to court because you are a prosecuting attorney or a defense attorney. Maybe you have been to court because you have served as a witness. Maybe you've been to court because you've been prosecuted for something. Maybe you've been um, to court as a defendant, um, and maybe you have been to court as a complainant. Have you ever been to court? Um, love to hear. Um, love to hear your court stories. What took you to court? Why you were in court? Um, you know, briefly. Nothing. Nothing too exculpatory. Mm-hmm. That's a fancy legal word. I looked up some, so I'd have some fancy legal words to say today. Um, yeah, the text line's open, 877-933-2484. I'm not a lawyer, but I think I'd like to play one from time to time. In fact, if somebody is looking for an arbiter of truth, like if that's a job, I think I would like that job. I think I would, I think I'd be particularly good. I'm not that I'm looking for a job, but if I, if there were like arbiter of truth, I feel like that's a job I would like. I don't know that I'd be all that good at it, but I think it's a job I would like. Uh, all right, um... Getting ready for work. Busy week, says Nolvia in Auburn, Alabama. Good morning. Love to hear from you on the text line this morning as well. 877-933-2484. Have you ever been to court? Either on trial for something or as a witness, maybe as a prosecuting attorney or as a member of the defense. The world of law has its own language, like words like exculpatory. Like there's no really not at the other place that we use words like that. Um... Summary judgment was actually the word that um, caught my attention and got me thinking in this direction today. Um, The world of law has its own language, its own patterns, its own practices, um, methods, tactics. It's actually one of those places that you don't want to go alone. Nobody wants to go to court alone. Nobody. Nobody wants to stand in front of a judge facing withering accusations with no one on your side. No defense. Right? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go to court on my own ever. Um, America is a very litigious nation. Um, we have to be. We now have 1.3 million lawyers, and we need to keep them busy. Right? So um, we're a litigious nation. There are literally new laws on the books 
pretty much every day that you wake up. And, and there's all kinds of conversation about who broke the law. And even when you're proven guilty, what the penalty should be. It's impossible for any one person to actually know what's legal at any given point in time. And beyond that, it's impossible to know what laws are currently being enforced, where you live, and to what extent. Yeah, I mean, right now, do you actually know what is legal or illegal in terms of, I don't know, the possession of marijuana? We'll just use this as an example. Because depending where you live, um, that law is variant. Who can have it? Who can have what kind? Under what circumstances? You got to carry your prescription around. I don't know. Do you know? Yeah, you'd have to look it up. Speed limits are my best example of this. Is the speed limit really a legal limit or only in a school zone? Like it's strictly enforced in a school zone. But how about everywhere else? And how about murder? Is murder always illegal or only if you don't want the baby? You see where I'm going here, right? Laws um, change and laws change frequently in this country. And depending on which jurisdiction you are in, you know, the law could be different in one place or another. How about marriage? Is that actually binding, legally binding? Or, you know, only as long as it meets some someone's esoteric felt needs? Yeah. Well, people in Jesus's day, they faced a litany of laws as well. And the religious leaders of the day were actually more like Kind of like religious police, they were enforcers of the law. So I want you to imagine for a moment that your pastor is not, you know, the good shepherd, but the enforcer of the legal religious laws of the day on the streets, judging whether or not women were sufficiently covering their heads. The woman who was, quote unquote, caught in adultery, obviously with a man, by the way, who is not in that story, um... So the, the, the law is not being equally applied, is that's my point here. But the it's the Pharisees that drag her out there into the streets and, you know, they're going to stone her to death. They are the um, they are the prosecutors and they are the judge and they are going to carry out, um, in in their view, the fulfillment of the law and kill her. Jesus said that rulers with rulers, religious leaders, rulers with rulers, measuring sticks, were missing the point. Jesus um, did not hold the lawyers, the teachers of the law, the keepers of the law, the enforcers of the law. He didn't hold them in very high esteem during his day. And even though the rule of law and the keepers of the law are no longer religious, I want you to note that judges still wear the same robes as pastors. The interpretation of the law was of interest to Jesus. The law was of interest to Jesus. why do you suppose that is? Well, because he's he's actually God and he's the one that gave the law for a purpose and on purpose. So the interpretation of the law was of interest to Jesus. People were suffering under the law that God had given for their good. The law of God was not meant to be used against people, but as a way of knowing how to fulfill the love of God in relationship to God and in relationship to others. You should reread Matthew chapter 5 today. Where in the Word are you today, by the way? Um, We got to get into the Word of God before we get out there into the world that God so loves in order that we can live lives that honor Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus makes a number of statements that begin, you have heard that it was said, 
but I say unto you. And he talks there about the law, the law in relationship to life and murder, to marriage and adultery, to marriage and divorce, to um, the keeping, the, the making of promises and the keeping of oaths, to retribution. There's a part in the eye for the eye, and there's a part on um, how to treat our enemies. Jesus cared about the law. Um, in fact, <clears throat> Jesus didn't come to, to break the law or to annihilate the law to abolish the law as he describes it? No, he says, I came to fulfill it. So what does it mean to fulfill the law? And that brings us to today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day. Paul, who, by the way, was a Pharisee, he was a teacher of the law. He says in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 10, Owe nothing to anyone. Well, except for this. Your obligation to love one another You owe love, Paul says. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. We have broken ourselves in so many ways against God's law. That is actually one definition of sin, to have broken ourselves against the law of God. But love fulfills the requirements of God's law. You've heard it said, don't do this and don't do that. Have you also heard it said, do this, do this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love fulfills the requirements of God's law. So this week, when Americans are going to be fixated on love. Let's actually demonstrate what it looks like. All righty, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thank you so much for all of the engagement on the text line this morning. Let's see. Uh, here's a friend who says, hey, um, now I'm not normally up at this hour, but uh, but I miss you guys. And while I'm here, thanks so much. Um, let's see, what was I talking about yesterday? I don't know. I will uh, I will have to jump back and see what was being talked about yesterday on that one in just a minute. Let's see. Jim and Simsbury says, uh, just thinking about this over the weekend. I've never been to court. Really? Really? Oh, and then he says, oh well. After I typed that, I remembered I once did speed in it. Uh, by the Hartford mayor's house, and I got busted. So I did go to court to throw myself on the mercy of the court, and that worked. Um, All right, let's see. Uh, Thank you for noting I have a new picture up on the Faith Radio website. Well, there you go, myfaithradio.com. Maybe I have a new picture up. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I'm not the poster to the website. Mary says, oh, yeah, I've been to court a number of times. Um, Yes, uh, in relationship to um, to one of her kids. Yeah. Oh, and also to traffic court. I feel like a lot of us have been to traffic court. Yeah. Um, ooh, someone here has served on the grand jury. Wow. All right. Uh, that's, a, that's an interesting experience. That might be worth a longer conversation. Mark's got a court story. He was a juror. Um, he took so, he took notes and apparently he um, he he that got him into some trouble because he was keeping very good track of what was said by both sides. Well, I appreciate that. That's probably the kind of kind of um, juror I would like. Novia has been 
uh, to traffic court as well. Yeah, a lot of us, a lot of us been to traffic court, right? Uh, Andrew confessing um, that, yes, he has been to court as well. Andrew, that is uh, that is cause for uh, for conversation there. Um, you know, confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation. I totally recognize that. I bet you've got some stories. Lori has also served as a juror. Now, I would like, I w- for those of you who, um, uh, Jill has served as a juror as well. Now I'm just a little jealous because um, I don't know how the system works clearly. And I clearly don't know how to work the system because I have been a registered voter um, and very diligent in keeping my responsibilities as a good citizen since I turned 18, which is a long time ago now. And I have never, I mean, big, bold letters, underline it and highlight it, never been called for jury duty. Does anybody else, I feel, I feel like, um, yeah, like in, in all the places that I've lived, you have missed your opportunity to have me on a jury. I don't, I mean, you know, that might sound prideful and it might sound silly to those of you who have given up time uh, to go and serve on a jury, jury and it has been, um, it has been costly. I do know that. I do recognize that. I'm not trying to minimize it. I'm actually saying, you know, I, I feel like I've been left out. So there you go. I have never served on a journey. Paul, journey. Paul Perot, have you ever served as a juror? Well, uh, I, I get a little skittish about talking about it because I have not, but I'm thinking somebody <laughs> might be listening. Did you get called? Have you ever been called up? I've never been called up. Okay. Seriously, I think there's like there's like a mark next to our name somewhere. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, maybe they know we're in radio and probably a bad wow. idea to bring us I don't know. Out. I don't think that they are allowed to exclude you like that. So Eliana, she's only, she's only 20. And... She's already been called. Hmm. I know. I know. I know. Well, clearly they don't know how I'm influencing the minds and hearts of my children or they wouldn't be calling my kids. But there you go. <laughs> okay. We have to, <laughs> I, I love that you guys are rolling in on the, um, on the text line this morning. It's, it's just fun uh, to, have you, um, to have you weigh in this way. Jack was an expert witness. Uh, gave expert testimony. I hope all testimony is expert, but Jack, I suspect there's a little more to that than you're um, sharing there. So thank you so much. Nicole says, um, I shouldn't worry about it. She has, neither has she been ever called as a juror. I find that stunningly surprising. Uh, Mary's been called for jury duty. Um, and Lisa served on a federal jury. Um, it was very interesting, but obviously nerve wracking experience. Yes, uh, is opportunities as citizens to do our part. And so thank you for those of you who have served. Thank you for those of you um, who work in the criminal justice and legal systems. We do, we do appreciate it deeply. I don't want to make light of it. Uh, I do often feel a little bit sorry because there's so many jokes told about lawyers and it is, it is a genuinely noble profession for those who, um, who treat it as such. So, um, so thank you. And it's no small thing to be a judge. Right. That is no small thing to be a judge. In fact, I hope that those of you who are lawyers and judges, I hope that you have surveyed the scriptures and um, know what is said about your profession and um, and all related to it. And I would recommend the Christian legal um, CLS. I hadn't planned to talk about that, but it's a Christian legal society and it's Christians across the country um, who are engaged in the legal profession and hold one another accountable. It's a lot like CMDA. We talk with them on a regular basis, the Christian Medical and Dental Association will, um, the Christian Legal Society is likened unto that. So you ought to check them out if you're not already um, aligned. 
All right, we're going to talk about sin, not just because the Super Bowl was held in Sin City last night, but because there's now a list out there of the most sinful states in America, and mine is very close to the top of the list. So um, how sinful is the state in which you live? And then let's also examine our sinful state. That's up next here on Mornings with Carl. You are not alone. Do you believe me when I say that? You are not alone. The enemy wants you to believe that you are not only alone, all alone, but to make you feel bad about it. That's loneliness. And it's a lie. Jesus tells us that the enemy tells us lies to rob us of our joy, kill our hope, and destroy our lives. And so if you're experiencing loneliness today, let me say this. You're not alone. The enemy is using the weapon of loneliness against a lot of people right now. But here's the good news. God is present. God is present right now, and he's closer to you than your very next breath. God loves you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You were created for relationship with him. And that sense of loneliness that you have right now, well, that's an indication that your heart knows it. Loneliness is the spiritual indicator that real love, real companionship, real relationship, real life are all possible. And guess what? Jesus literally came to make that connection with you. Do you want to know more? Text the word LONELY to 877-933-2484. And I'll drop in on you to remind you that God is present and you're not alone. Text LONELY, L-O-N-E-L-Y, to 877-933-2484. Connecting faith to life. Faith Radio. What we measure matters. So what are you measuring today? Now, if you just stepped on or off the scale, uh, yeah, you're thinking I'm talking about that. No, I'm not talking about that. But, you know, what do we measure What are we taking a measure of? What are the kinds of questions that we ask people to give us input on? Um, What we keep a measure of matters. And so it's interesting to me that um, WalletHub, year after year after year, is keeping track of the most sinful states in America. And the way that they are tracking sinfulness um, is by looking at things like which state has the worst drug problem or which state is the most gambling addicted. So they have compared the 50 states in the United States across 55 indicators of immoral or illicit behavior. What do you think makes that list anymore? And what do you think maybe would have been on the list a number of years ago and isn't on the list any longer? Yeah, 55 indicators of immoral or illicit behavior. Just let me go ahead and tell you. Um, The number of abortions that take place in a state, that's not on the list. The number of divorces that take place in a state, that's not on the list. So there's some things that might make a sin list for you and and I as Christians, you and me. Make a list for me. Make a list for I. I should have said me. I detest that every once in a while. All the grammarians listening. Um, So what say ye? How sinful is the state in which you live? Where, what do you think tops the list? I mean, you know, Nevada. Nevada tops the list. I find this not super surprising. Second on the list is another state where gambling um, is a part of the culture and 
where um, debauchery is embraced in a city called New Orleans on a regular basis. In fact, they traffic in it. And so Nevada is number one and Louisiana is number two. Number three on the list is California. And that might just be because there's just so many people in California doing so many naughty things. This is my theory on why California is number three. And then we've got Florida. um, And, you know, that might be a little bit curious to me since I grew up there. I don't think of it as a sin-saturated state. But then, but then consider my surprise when the state I live in now, which is the state of Tennessee, is number five. Number five, we're the buckle of the Bible belt. How could we possibly be the fifth most sinful state in the nation? Mm-hmm. Well, if you have heard of Nashville then you have probably heard it referred to um, in recent years as Nash Vegas. There is a, um, a market for naughtiness, and Nashville has entered right into it. So this got me thinking um, that what we measure matters, and I wonder if the water that we're swimming in isn't just contaminated, but has in some ways contaminated us. And so I'm wondering in your own community what you're measuring. Do you actually know in terms of like your zip code? So just think of your zip code. Do you know how your zip code rates in terms of things like poverty, food insecurity, absenteeism at school, homelessness, opioid overdoses, the availability and affordability of child care? What are you measuring in your own local community and how are you, not only as an individual Christian, but how is your church as an outpost of God's kingdom in the midst of that particular zip code, that particular place, in this particular time, how are we responding to the the real drivers of negative outcomes in our own communities? What are you measuring because if, if the only thing that we're measuring is what's going on inside the building, if all we're measuring is, you know, how many people are inside the building on a certain day at a certain time. So I'm thinking here about worship attendance. If that's what we're measuring, if we're measuring that and we're measuring, you know, dollars in the, in the offering plate, however they come. If we're really, if those are the things that we're measuring and the world is going to hell in a handbasket around us, like sin is rampant and people are suffering then are we measuring the right thing? We, um, we talk um, here on a regular basis um, with, um, why is his name escaping me? Daryl Crouch from Everyone's Wilson. And he was a pastor for many, many years. And then I think he came to this realization that like inside the church, we're measuring the wrong things. And out there in the world, People are really suffering. So everyone's Wilson started measuring different things. And they found out that poverty and single moms were the drivers of negative outcomes in their community, in their zip code. Do you know what the drivers of negative outcomes are in your community? Is it absenteeism? Is it child neglect? Is it instability? Because all of those lead to kids failing to finish high school. They also lead to drinking and drug addiction and retail theft. 
So what are the drivers in your own community of negative outcomes, of generational poverty? And then how can we as a church address that sin cycle that's become a spin cycle in America? Yeah, um, a lot going on today um, in the world. And as we approach the season of Lent, which begins on this Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, yes, also Valentine's Day, we're going to talk about the confluence of those two things um, a a number of times uh, today and tomorrow and Wednesday. Um, But as we approach the season of Lent, I'm wondering, like, it is the time during which we turn our attention toward our own sinfulness. Like Ash Wednesday, we put ashes um, you know, in the shape of a cross on our foreheads to remind us. Do you know that uh, those ashes, by the way, that are used on Ash Wednesday, it's last year's Palm Sunday palm fronds burned to a char. So the the waving palms from Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, um, are burned to a char, and they are used in the following year's Ash Wednesday. Because this... Um, sin in which we find ourselves um, clings to us. And every year we need to come in repentance and acknowledge it is our sin that nailed him there. And obviously we're talking about Jesus and we're talking about the journey to Jerusalem and to the cross. And I hope you have an intentional plan for engaging with the particular passages of Scripture that reveal the truth of God's journey, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. And if you don't have a plan for that, um, join us in reading the Bible together during this season of Lent. It's a special time. It's the 40 days that lead up to Easter. It begins day after tomorrow. Um, So if you don't already have a Lenten Bible study plan, join us in reading the Bible together for the season of Lent. You can sign up for a free study guide. You get instant access to the podcast You can do all of that at MyFaithRadio.com. And yes, 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 I did tell you I was going to do Monday Mailbag. So we're going to do that next. Uh, Monday Mailbag, if you've got a question, I probably can't deal with it today because I've already got a mailbag stuffed full of things to talk about. But I would love to hear your question. Um, And questions are always uh, welcome. 877-933-2484. We'll stuff it in the Monday Mailbag. And on on a given Monday, we'll... Pull them out and do a few. So um, I got I got like six or seven questions from Andrew lined up to talk about today. Um, and I've got uh, a question from Sylvia as well. So the, all of that up next here on the Monday Mailbag. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. You've got mail. You, 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 you've got mail. You, you've got mail. All right, it's what we're going to call the Monday Mailbag. Woohoo! Okay, um, here is a question received. <clears throat> and I love it when somebody starts their question with, This is really important. So thank you. Thank you. This is really important. Um, my friend feels like he um, has never truly been saved or that he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Um, if he doesn't speak in tongues and he doesn't feel like he can speak in tongues and he loves God. And so I have told him that he doesn't have to speak in tongues 
that all he has to do is repent of his sins and ask forgiveness and Jesus will bless him and he will be saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. But please help us because this guy feels like he's not saved. Okay, so thank you, first of all, for this really important question. And um, I would lift up the salvation of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and the men of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 Um, Because they do represent specific instances in which speaking in tongues was an evidence. It was given as a sign um, that new birth had occurred in a person's life. And so I like to start by affirming something about um, what a person is asking a question about. So this person is asking a question about uh, speaking in tongues being given as an evidence or a sign of new birth. Well, and yeah, there are there are places in Scripture where that's true. Acts chapter 10, Acts 19 would be places you could point to. And then I would say, but that's the exception, not the rule. Like, those are the exception, not the rule. Look at the rest of the book of Acts. Look at the rest of the New Testament. We don't actually see speaking in tongues associated with salvation, except in a very few exceptional instances. None of the gospel presentations in the New Testament, none of them mention speaking in tongues. Read John 3, 16 to 18. Read Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Read Acts chapter 4 and 16 and Romans chapter 10. Read 1 Corinthians 15 and Ephesians 2. These very, very clear presentations of the gospel in the New Testament make no mention of speaking in tongues. And so if speaking in tongues were necessary for salvation, if it was some kind of requirement, if it was the standard, not the exception, um, if it was like a primary signifier of salvation, you'd see a whole lot more about it. Um, The gift of tongues was given on the day of Pentecost as the Holy Spirit came to permanently take up residence in the followers of Jesus. And yeah, the gift manifested itself on that particular day, in an ability that must have been like speaking foreign languages without having to learn them. Because people from all over the world who were gathered together, um, they heard in their own language. It was a gift that God gave to preach Christ to people from all over the world. It was a spiritual gift, um, and it was given um, to some, but not all. And it's never presented in the Bible as a requirement for salvation. So what is required for salvation? Um, Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. I mean, look at the places where it says, what must I do to be saved? None of them, zero times, does it say speaking in tongues. So I hope that is um, helpful. It's an acknowledgement that there is speaking in tongues in the scriptures, but never is it described as a requirement for salvation. And, And hey, by the way, your friend is not alone. Um, my friend Jonathan told me, um, I'm trying to remember, this was like the summer of 94. (laughs) He told me that, you know, I, I, he was pretty sure I wasn't saved because I wasn't speaking in tongues. And, um, yeah, um, you can imagine that was, uh, that was quite a conversation then. I wasn't as equipped as I am now to, to point to, to scripture and say, hey, here are the evidences of where it happens. Here are all the places where the gospel is presented and where tongues are never mentioned. Um, I wasn't prepared then to say it, it, it happened. Um, and 
it was given at a time and for a purpose, but just because God hasn't given me the gift of tongues and I actually find foreign languages really, really difficult, um, that doesn't mean I'm not saved. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> all right, what is this? This is starting the list of Andrew's questions, which, by the way, uh, Andrew um, is a fairly new believer. I don't know how new a believer, but a fairly new believer. And so Andrew asks questions all the time on the text line, and I encourage you to join him because it's wonderful to know the kinds of questions that you have um, because it's just no fun to be answering questions that people aren't asking. And so sometimes, um, well, it's it's always really helpful to me to know the questions that you are asking, the questions that you have, the questions that burden your heart and your mind, because it sure would be fun to be answering questions that you do have instead of uh, answering questions you don't have. All right. Uh, Andrew says, what is sanctification and how do I do it? All right. So this is uh, this is a question that requires an understanding of justification, which I actually know that Andrew understands justification because he has come to Christ. He has brought all of himself to Christ um, and laid it at the foot of the cross and accepted Jesus as his Savior and Lord. So that justification, that initial act of coming to Jesus and saying, I am. I see you. I believe that you are who you say you are. Um, I believe that you did on the cross what you claim to have done. Um, And I am bringing all of me, my brokenness, my sinfulness, my need, my depravity. I'm just setting it right there. I'm setting it right there. Not only at the foot of the cross, but um, but at the empty tomb. I believe you have been raised from the dead. And so I think that not only did you pay the penalty for my sin, on the cross, um, um, but you've broken its power uh, in my life. So um, the power and the penalty of sin both broken on the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus. And so that's the justification. Sanctification is what starts the moment after and, and goes on for the rest of your life. So to sanctify an object just means to make it clean, to consecrate it, to wash it, um, to set it aside for a special purpose. So you might have some sanctified items um, in your home. There might be a particular vase that is only used on special occasions for certain things. Maybe there is, you know, a, one piece of precious china that has been passed down um, or carried forth or, you know, that it's something that's just only used at certain times and for certain occasions. It's very special. It's kept clean. It's, it's consecrated. It's been set aside. That's what it means to sanctify. And so sanctification is the, the way Christians talk about how God transforms a person, making them more and more holy for his holy purpose. Sanctification includes, includes like over time the change of our heart how our desires become more and more aligned with the desires of God. It includes a, a change of mind. It's the, the whole process of coming to apprehend the mind of Christ, seeing the world from God's perspective. It includes embracing the truth about life and ourselves and the world and everything in it. So sanctification will eventually um, include the change of your body. You will be healed and perfected um, in the life that is to come. So sanctification is 
a process that takes place throughout the Christian life. Again, justification is what happens when a person makes their profession of faith in Jesus, but sanctification is the ongoing process of confessing my need every single day in this present moment for God's Spirit to bring more and more of me into greater conformity with God's will. Um, The Apostle Paul talks about it happening by one degree of glory to another. So it's the present experience of salvation. It's a process of transformation. Um, And the engine of it is obedience. It's obedience. God is the one who sanctifies, um, but Christians aren't passive. And so, Andrew, to the second part of your question, you know, not only, you know, what is sanctification, but how do I do it? Well, you don't do it. God does it. Now, you're not passive. You're not a spectator sitting on the sidelines while God is doing this work within you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Nope, nope. We are active players. We yield. We absolutely yield moment by moment to the work of the Holy Spirit, and we actively struggle against evil. We apply um, discipline to the life of faith. We tame the tongue. We... um, Invite Christ to take every thought captive. We exercise our faith. Sanctification is also a process um, of renewal, being made new, um, moment by moment, day by day. And that means it's a process of dying and rising, because renewal requires um, that the old dies in order that the new might be born. And so we talk about self-discipline. We talk about the renewing power of the Holy Spirit and the renewing of the mind. Um, We talk about self-denial as an essential part of the process of sanctification. Um, We talk about God being not only the energy behind this, but the one who um, works within us to discipline our heart and mind and even to discipline our prayers, which gets us to... um, the question, Andrew, that you asked as a follow-up um, in, a, in a conversation that we were having here, what does it mean to be disciplined in prayer? And you also ask a question about fasting. And so I thought in this week of Lent, these would be two good Monday mailbag questions to address as well. In Lent, why do people fast? Do you have to fast if you're a Christian? Is fasting only related to food? And then what does it mean to be disciplined in prayer? Those questions up next from the Monday Mailbag. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who, like, wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, 
I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. All right, we're calling this Monday Mailbag here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We seek to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of uh, the day and really what matters to you today. And so if you've got a particular question you'd like to hear addressed, um, you can text it to me, 877-933-2484. Keep them rolling in. I keep a Monday Mailbag running list. And so today, answering a few questions that Andrew has sent in over time, and today um, seemed appropriate to seek to answer Andrew's questions related to Lent and fasting, as well as disciplined prayer, since the season of Lent begins on Ash Wednesday. And, you know, so this is the Monday in advance. So I'm going to take the disciplined prayer question first, because my answer to it is much shorter than my answer to the question about fasting. Um, And so what does it mean to be disciplined in prayer? And so First of all, um, every Christian that you ask this question of is probably going to answer differently. So it's not like, it's probably true of all of these. It's, probably, it's not like there's one answer that's, oh, well, that's, that's absolutely, you know, without question, the right answer. I'm trying to give you some thinking points and some conversational talking points. Hey, I heard Carmen say that this is what um, this is about. Like, is that do you agree with that? Like, what what is sanctification to you? And what is your process of sanctification? And what what's God working on? Like, if it's a character development thing in terms of making us more and more into the character of Christ, then what area of character development is God working on right now in your life? That would be a great conversation about sanctification today, with or without, you know, using the big fancy word. You know, how is God um, transforming you? What is the you could even have a conversation about transformers. Okay, there you go. I digress. What does it mean to be disciplined in prayer? Well, the word disciple and the word discipline uh, are related. And so how do the disciples of Jesus pray? What does it look like to be discipled by Jesus in our prayers? And then what does it look like to be disciplined in our life of prayer as a disciple? So being disciplined in prayer means a range of things. It means to pray intentionally, regularly, as a spiritual discipline. It means to pray as Jesus taught us to pray, and it means to pray in Jesus' name. It means to um, pray as Jesus prayed, and to pray as Jesus leads you to pray, and to be disciplined in, in those efforts, to be diligent in prayer to use the prayers in Scripture, in both the Old and the New Testament, to um, grow in our own life of prayer. Um, Other Christians might answer this question differently, and it's worth having a conversation with your Christian friends. What do you think it means to be disciplined in prayer? And how are you disciplined in your life of prayer? Like, what does that look like? Do you keep a prayer journal Um, Do you go back and give God praise and glory for the prayers that he has answered, even in ways that you didn't ask? There's all kinds of ways that you can walk in a disciplined life of prayer. Um, And so, you know, thank you for asking, and um, I'd love to hear your answer to the question, what does it mean to be disciplined in prayer? 
Now to Lent, which begins on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. Um, I thought this was a good time to talk about Lent because it is a time of prayer and fasting, and Andrew's question is about fasting. Why do people fast? Do I have to fast? Is fasting only related to food? Um, So people fast as a spiritual discipline. People fast to, um, to bring clarity and seek God's will in a certain situation. Um, people fast as a way of disciplining their spirit and bringing it into greater conformity with Christ's will. So Lent is this 40 days, this season of preparation during which we remember what Christ endured on our behalf, his suffering, and then ultimately his death. And so historically, um, the, the church Christians have observed fasting as a part of this season of spiritual preparation. A little bit of we suffer alongside Christ. And so it is, fasting is meant to be hard. <laughs> it's, it's not meant to be easy. And so when people are like, well, I would like to fast. I don't want to fast from something. I want to add something. Okay, well, that's fine. Um, make sure it, make sure it causes suffering. The thing you add. Like, that's the idea here, is that I'm, um, we live in a culture of fast everything, fast food, instant gratification, self-centeredness. And so fasting is a way to help us get our eyes back on the Lord. Fasting has um, kind of been forgotten in the midst of all of the comfort of the age in which we live. So... Um, Fasting is something that um, our nation, the United States of America, was actually called into by the Congressional Congress in 1775. We, we were called into a national day of fasting and prayer in preparation for what became the War of Independence. Abraham Lincoln called the, called the nation to fast in the midst of the Civil War. Um, fasting is uh, appropriate. It's appropriate in order that we be more like Christ, that we obtain um, a purity of spirit. A, a, a repentance of our sins. Um, it's it's seen in the scriptures as a time of of mourning, requesting God God's help in times of crisis to strengthen prayer. And yes, uh, Andrew and and, um, and everyone else, <laughs> there are lots of types of fasting. So in the same way that um, God anointed times and seasons of fasting in Scripture, He also designated several different types of fasts. And so you can look at those um, throughout the scripture. Um, and sometimes the fast is relatively short, and sometimes it's very, very long, the abstaining from food and water for a very long period of time. And sometimes it's a what I would call like a daily bread fast. I would look at Ezekiel for the daily bread fast. Um, and And then I would think about the way you break fast. Just recognize that the word breakfast is break fast. So how long are you fasting um, before you break fast? And then when you break fast, breakfast, are you acknowledging that you are breaking a fast, that you have been abstaining for some period of time and what God's been doing in your body and in your spirit during, uh, during that fast, as brief as it might be? There's a lot of talk now about intermittent fasting in the culture. And so it's a good time to recognize the spiritual nature of it. Um, the different kinds uh, of fasting in Scripture and what Jesus in particular says about fasting. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught a lesson 
about how to fast and how not to fast. He starts by saying, when you fast. So if Jesus says, when you fast, then Jesus expects us from time to time to do what? To fast. So, um, so there you go. Uh, this is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 28. Jesus says, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces and, and show to everybody that they've been fasting. I say to you, they're going to have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head with oil and wash your face. That means put yourself together so that you don't appear to other people as fasting. But to your father in heaven who meets you in the secret place, he sees in secret and he will reward you openly. So um, keeping your fast something that's between you and God is, uh, is something that Jesus certainly um, highlighted. There's all kinds of instruction that we could go into on the practical steps for fasting and um, and the kinds of people that sh- should and shouldn't maybe do it because of physical reasons. And so I guess this is one of those times I should definitely say consult your doctor before you enter into any kind of fast. But yes, fasting is a spiritual discipline and a spiritual exercise, and there's lots and lots of resources related to it, particularly during um, this season of Lent. All right, I do not have time um, to share with you my favorite ad from the Super Bowl, Um Um, But it was the State Farm ad featuring Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I will just say this. It is about being a good neighbor. Are you a good neighbor? Yeah, that would take us back to today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day. Um, We're supposed to be loving our neighbor. Are you loving your neighbor? Yeah, that's a sheep joke as well as a State Farm joke. So uh, maybe I'll lead off with that in the next hour. We got another hour together coming up next. And yes, your observations about fasting being essential for deliverance and prayer. Yes, amen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.